the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Faith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Their argument was that you need the restraints of all the Old Testament laws in order to control the sinful passions of the human heart. That was their argument. And Paul's response is that you're wrong. It's not the law that restrains sin, it's not rules not regulations, not a list of do's and don'ts, but rather the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who indwells every true believer in Christ and enables us to live out the godly fruit of righteous behavior. A resort had a sign on each balcony which overlooked a large pond. The sign read, no fishing. Yet guests were continually fishing from the balconies. In a committee meeting investigating this problem, someone who understood human behavior said, just remove the signs. That was done, and the fishing stopped. Human nature is prone to disobey rules that are set before them. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Steve is continuing his series of studies from Galatians chapter 5. Today, he is looking at the conflict between the flesh and the spirit, part three, and he will be giving us the Apostle Paul's solution to this conflict. It's a simple yet very profound command to Christians everywhere. Walk in the spirit. Here is Pastor Steve with our study. Let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter five, and I want to read to you the whole section of this passage, one unit of thought. We began to look at it last week. We'll not finish it today, but we're going through this passage slowly because it is so critical in our Christian lives. The truths that are here are life-changing if you'll just embrace them and apply them. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. 
Several weeks ago, I had a discussion with a young man who believes that it is possible in this lifetime to attain to a level of sinless perfection. Regardless of what I said to him about the reality of sin in a Christian's life, he responded with a verse of Scripture that he thought taught perfectionism. But this morning, as we continue our study of Paul's letter to the Galatians, we see the folly of such thinking because we've come to this particular passage of Scripture that we've just read, in which Paul describes the very real and intense struggle that is constantly going on in every Christian's heart. It's a struggle between what he calls the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. And it was only fitting that Paul wrote about this to the Galatians because, folks, this is precisely the kind of sin struggles that was going on in their lives and in their congregations. Notice chapter 5, verse 15, the verse just before we we broke in and, and read this passage. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. That's precisely what they were doing. They were attacking one another. They were arguing with one another. Then chapter 5, verse 26, which we just read, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Once again, it's exactly what they were doing. Otherwise, Paul would never have written this. And chapter 6, verse 1, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Paul wrote that because they were involved in trespasses and sins, and people were not restoring one another in a spirit of gentleness. So even though the Galatians had come to faith in Christ, and that's how you have to conclude that, that Paul treats them as if they're truly born again, although for a time they are confused about justification by faith alone, Paul recognizes, though believers, that they were giving into their fleshly desires, and it was obvious by the way they were behaving. They were being selfish, argumentative, boastful, and envious of one another, and more. As I told you last week, the Judaizers, these false teachers from Jerusalem, felt that this kind of behavior that was being demonstrated by the Galatians was the inevitable result of Paul's doctrine of justification by faith in Christ. They reasoned that if, that if you remove the obligation to obey the law for salvation, if that was removed as justification by faith did, then it would naturally lead to a life of flagrant sin and degradation. You see, their argument was that you need the restraints of all the Old Testament laws in order to control the sinful passions of the human heart. That was their argument. And Paul's response is that you're wrong. It's not the law that restrains sin. It's not rules, not regulations, not a list of do's and don'ts, but rather the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who indwells every true believer in Christ and enables us to live out the godly fruit of righteous behavior. You can easily see Paul's thinking and his argument in these verses concerning the law and godly behavior, because notice that in the midst of explaining to the Galatians about this conflict between the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, Paul mentions a couple of times that the law has nothing at all to do with godly behavior. It does not produce godly behavior. It shows you that you have not behaved in a godly manner, but it doesn't produce godly behavior. Notice verse 18 again, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. It's exactly what he's saying. Not the law 
that produces godliness in you. It's the Spirit. Verse 23, after saying, speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, self-control against such things, he says, there is no law. And so the whole point of this passage is to teach the Galatians that the way to overcome our fleshly desires is by life in the Spirit rather than by trying to adhere to a set of restraining laws. And the Galatians really needed to hear what Paul had to say because many of them were not living in victory over their sinful flesh as they should have been. See, in addition to treating each other the way that we just mentioned, attacking one another, being boastful, envious, apparently some of the Galatians had fallen into some of the very sins that Paul mentions in this passage, which he calls the deeds or works of the flesh. And that only makes sense because these had to be, and it wasn't just one congregation, it had to be a bunch of divided congregations, divided Christians, divided between those who who embraced the Judaizers' teaching, and therefore they became not just legalists, living by a strict code, that they imposed on themselves, but contentious legalists, argumentative legalists. On the other hand, there were those who went the opposite extreme and they embraced their their liberty as an opportunity to indulge their flesh. And so you had these two groups going at each other. And so Paul writes this section in his letter in order to teach the Galatians that those who have been set free from the bondage of trying to be saved by the law are not to use their freedom to behave in such a carnal way. That's his point. But listen, the apostle does more than simply tell them not to engage in fleshly desires. That would only take one verse. He does more than that. He wants them to understand why they are falling into sin and behaving in such a carnal manner and what to do about it. So Paul explains to them that justification does not kill our depravity. Because even after we're saved, we still have the desires of the flesh residing in us. But here's the good news. We don't have to give in to those desires. We don't have to fall victim to satisfying our fleshly appetites because God has provided a way for us to overcome our sin moment by moment, day by day, but it's not by the law. It's by the Spirit of God the third person of the triune Godhead who he has given to us to indwell us and enable us to resist our fleshly desires. Now listen very carefully because here's something critical in helping us to understand Paul's message in Galatians 5. Just because the Spirit of God lives in us does not automatically mean that victory over our sin is assured. You see, there are certain responsibilities that every Christian has, that those responsibilities just have to be carried out. They have to be obeyed if we're going to overcome the desires of the flesh. But this is precisely where many believers blow it in their Christian lives. They either are not willing to discipline themselves enough to obey God's word and carry out these responsibilities, or they are just plain ignorant about these responsibilities, and they embrace an erroneous view of sanctification, a view in which they think they can have victory over sin without putting some effort into it. That's just going to happen. They're just going to pray about it, and miraculously, they're going to wake up one day and have no more of these fleshly 
desires. Listen, that's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. No one ever overcame sin by being passive. Just can't happen. That's why Paul takes this section in his letter to instruct us on what our specific responsibilities are in overcoming our fleshly desires. Passivity does not work when it comes to sanctification. Folks, that's what makes this particular passage of Scripture so significant and so relevant because, frankly, there are many believers both in our church and in other Bible-believing evangelical churches who are failing miserably in overcoming their depravity. There are men who claim to know Christ but who are having extramarital affairs. There are men and women who are caught in the enslaving grip of pornography marriages that are in serious trouble, professing believers who who seem to exhibit as a way of life some of the very sins that Paul mentions in these verses. Immorality, strife, jealousy, envying, outbursts of anger, disputes, and even drunkenness. And so this is a passage of Scripture that every one of us needs to pay close attention to because the conflict between the sins of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit, they're very real, and they're in all of us, and many are losing the battle for sanctification every day. But, as I said, the good news is you don't need to. You don't need to. As I've already mentioned, Paul's purpose in writing the Galatians about these things is to teach them, and by way of application, to teach us how to overcome our fleshly desires so that they don't bear fruit and become sinful actions. Now, here's the balance. While it's true that in our lifetime, we will always have problems with our flesh until the Lord takes us to glory. We're always going to have problems, and we're always going to experience temptation, temptations to sin. Yet the Word of God says that we can and should experience consistent, if not perfect, victory over our flesh here and now. That's the good news. That's the great hope for all of us. And the way we do this is by understanding and applying to our daily lives certain key truths that Paul teaches in this passage about sanctification. Now, there are three of them that really stand out, and these are the three responsibilities that God has given us that, if carried out, will enable each of us to experience victory over our sinful desires. Now, we just scratched the surface by looking at the first of these key truths, where We're not moving on to the second yet because the first one is so rich that we want to go a little bit deeper this morning exploring that. So as we continue our study, we're we're looking at the first of these key truths about sanctification, which is this, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Let me read to you verses 16 through 18 again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, in these verses, Paul tells us very plainly, very clearly, about the fierce battle that rages within every true Christian between the desire of his flesh and the desire of the spirit of God. And he explains that the only way to ensure that we don't carry out the desires of our flesh is by walking in or by the Spirit. 
Now, as I explained, to walk in the Spirit is not something that's mystical. It's not mysterious. It's not so complex and hard to understand that you can't get it. You don't need to go to Bible college or seminary to understand this truth. It simply means that we are to feed our minds on spiritual truth, meaning biblical truth. We walk in the sphere of the Spirit. We feed our minds on biblical truth with a heart that's willing to obey those truths. And when we do this, we will inevitably starve those fleshly desires. In other words, to walk by the Spirit means to be under the Spirit's control by filling our our hearts and our minds with the Word of God with an attitude of submission to that Word. It, It isn't just thinking about Scripture and not caring. It's thinking about Scripture, filling your minds with Scripture, but with a heart that says, I want to, I want to obey this. I want to follow this principle. See, this is really a, a very practical truth that all of us can understand. That's why I said it's not, it's not complex. It's not hard. Don't make it deeper than it really is. When you fill your mind with the truths that come from the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about the Word of God now, then you will inevitably eliminate, at that moment, those fleshly desires from bearing fruit. It's a moment-by-moment deal. You cannot walk by the thoughts of the Spirit and at the same time cultivate the thoughts and desires of the flesh. It's impossible. It just can't happen. Now listen, here's something that cannot be overlooked in this battle for sanctification. It takes discipline. It takes discipline of mind to make sure that your mind stays focused on the things of the Spirit, the Word of God. And frankly, that's where many of us fail. It's because instead of disciplining our minds to think about what is true and lovely and honest and worthy of praise and spiritual, we tend to be mentally lazy. And we let our minds dwell on sinful thoughts, and we nurture those thoughts and cultivate them and feed them until they become sinful actions. Now, I want to stop here for a moment and address something that may, I think it may hinder someone from taking Paul's words as seriously as they should. See, someone, in fact, many, may object to Paul's teaching on sanctification as being just too simplistic, too unrealistic for our sin-saturated world. They may be assuming that when Paul wrote these words, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, that he wasn't thinking about such a, a wicked society as ours, where graphic, Sexual pictures are plastered all over the internet, where television and movies and advertisements constantly convey sexual themes, where all kinds of wicked behavior and vices are approved of and even encouraged, and where marital infidelity and even sexual perversion have become pretty much the norm of our culture. So the thinking may be by some that you know what, if Paul only knew the kind of world that, that we'd be living in, he would never have told us to do something as just simple and basic as walk in the Spirit. That's, that's not going to cut it in our world. He would never have given us something that, that kindergartenish as a solution to gratifying the flesh. Because those in his world, so the thinking goes, They didn't have to live with such depravity all around them as we do. So that weakens Paul's argument. Not at all. Listen, nothing could be further 
from the truth. The world that Paul lived in was just as evil as the world that we live in. Why do I say that? Several years ago, Michelle and I were part of a tour in Italy that took us to the city of Pompeii. Now, Pompeii was a town in ancient Italy that existed during the days of the Apostle Paul. It was a contemporary town when Paul was alive. However, in 79 AD, Pompeii was destroyed and completely buried under mounds of ash from the eruption of a nearby volcano, Mount Vesuvius. For nearly 1,700 years, this town was buried under that ash. Nobody even knew that it existed until it was rediscovered in the year 1749. And when it was uncovered, what was discovered then was a perfectly preserved Roman city, ancient Roman city that had been under that ash for all these years, so that we know authoritatively what life was like back in that city. And that was just, that was a common city, nothing out of the ordinary. What was life like in that city? You know what? What was discovered was that society in Paul's day was just as wicked as ours is. Because the archaeologists found all kinds of erotic objects and sexually explicit frescoes in the city of Pompeii. It was a culture saturated with immorality tied together with their religion. In fact, I I can recall going into, Michelle and I went into, along with our tour group, one of the home, one of the rooms of a house in Pompeii, and seeing a pornographic drawing on the wall, and hearing our tour guide try to defend it. He tried to defend it by saying that this isn't what you think it is. And I remember telling Michelle, no, this is exactly what we think it is. And it was. He tried to peddle it off as art, pornography. Listen, the society Paul lived in, in in his world, the first century, was just as wicked as the world is today. But even if it wasn't, that's irrelevant completely irrelevant because what Paul says here in Galatians 5 is that residing in all of us, regardless of of the time that you lived in or the culture you lived in, are the same kinds of sinful desires. People back then were just as evil as people today. The world may have been different, but in Paul's day it really wasn't. But even if it was, it doesn't matter. We all have the same desires of the flesh. Time doesn't change that. Culture doesn't change that. And the only way to, to to overcome those sinful desires is to walk by the Spirit. And so in verses 19 through 21, Paul explains what happens if we give into those sinful desires and we fail to walk by the Spirit. He gives us a list of some of the works of the flesh. Starting in verse 19, we read, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Now, before we look at this list of, of the deeds of the flesh, and, and I'm only going to comment briefly on them because, frankly, they're, they're self-explanatory, there are a few things that I want you to keep in mind. Number one, you need to understand that Paul is not saying that everyone, everyone manifests all of these sins. He's not saying that at all. What he is saying is that these are the kinds of sins that come from 
within each of us, because even though as believers in Christ, we have a new nature, we're still fallen beings with fleshly hearts that are inclined to sin. And when we do sin, these are the ways we do it. These are the deeds that our flesh produces. But he's not saying that everybody all the time is producing this. This is what resides in us. And if left to ourselves, this is the kind of stuff coming out. Pastor Steve will bring us the second of three parts to this study in our next Verse by Verse. If you would like to listen to this class again, go to our website, versebyverseradio.org, and click on the Message Archive tab. There you can listen to this or any previous study from Galatians 5 or any of the hundreds of other studies available free of charge. You may also order a CD with all three parts of this study by calling Verse by Verse at 727-239-0306. Verse by Verse is an outreach ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are supported by interested friends like you who have first been faithful to their own local church. If you would like to be a partner in these Bible studies with Pastor Steve Kreloff, call us at 727 727- 239-0306 or you may give online at versebyverseradio.org and clicking on the giving tab. Your prayers and financial gifts are vitally important. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.